0: Welcome everybody to the Depressed Salesman Podcast. This is episode one. And today we're going to be having an interesting conversation about the intersection of sales results and our mental health and well-being. So I'd like to welcome Gregory Cook. He is the president of InFocus Interiors Group. And uh, welcome, Greg. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with us today.
1: No problem. Thanks, Michael. And I'm quite excited that I've been invited to be on episode one. Like that's, I feel that's pretty big. Thank you for having me.
0: You got to start somewhere, right? You're an entrepreneur, you're running your own business. Uh, It's a sales focused business, but uh, you're a manufacturer's representative for a number of brands in the flooring industry and the commercial furniture area. Uh, But you didn't start there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the beginning of your journey and and how it is that you've ended up where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's it's probably a bit of a, a shock looking back to uh, many who knew me uh, when I was quite little that I've, I'm now in sales and that I talk to people. I was never a big talker when I was young. I said nothing to nobody. Uh, everybody got one-word answers out of me. Yeah. Um, Ended up going to university, I had every intention of being an accountant. So hidden away in an office, just working with numbers. Uh, And I took my first accounting course at university and almost failed it and thought, well, this might not be the big, (laughs) the right plan for me. (laughs) Funny story that year, it was, we took, you know, introduction to a number of different uh, business courses and in error, I got a 99% on my transcript for marketing.
0: Wow. Uh, like yeah. Dean's yeah. List.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, I did not deserve a 99%, but that's what showed up on the, you know, transcripts were typed out back then. Um, and I took that as a sign and I ended up going into marketing and and ended up working with a large retailer in the marketing department. Uh, They told me that you need to go spend some time in the store, some time out in the store to kind of, you know, uh, get to know the company a bit. Did that for a few years and realized that that wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. And, and and then I ended up in the uh, wrapping business. Um, and I had to, you know, from the retail side onward, I had to talk a lot more to people <laughs> and, uh, and I guess somewhere along there, uh, learned how to come out of my shell and, and, and be a lot, uh, vocal. And now it's something I love to do. Like, I love to do it. I love presenting to people. I love talking to people. I don't care how many people you talk me in front and put me in front of, whether it's one person or 300 people. I'll get up there and and I'll just talk. And for me, um, just let me kind of uh, just let me run with it. Like put me with a put me with a speech and a and a and a prepared a full prepared what have you. Uh, that's not kind of my style. It's not what I'm good at. But if you say, hey, I need you to get up and talk about this topic for this long, I'm all over it and I love it.
0: So you, you mentioned uh moving out of the head office uh out into the store. So when that happened, was that retail sales that you were that, yeah, you that were was retail following? sales? Okay, yeah. so you went from retail sales to distribution, uh becoming a representative for a distributor. And then that's that's I when went
1: to uh yeah, I was a manufacturer's rep first in the furniture industry. I moved to distribution uh for dozen years. And then I went back to being a manufacturer's representative and owning, owning my own company.
0: So the difference between a manufacturer's representative, uh, and, and, uh, a rep through distribution, um, are are they not both, uh, dealer based networks that you're selling to? It's just,
1: yeah, it's just a different channel to market. Um, They are both dealer based. Essentially, it's the exact same job. Uh, uh, In one scenario, you are selling manufacturer to a dealer. In another scenario, uh, it goes manufacturer to distributor to dealer. And there's just one extra step in the middle. But as a rep, as a rep, it's the same job. We do the same thing and we, and we, you know, it's the same job.
0: So that scenario that you talk about uh, of, putting yourself in front of 300 people and, and presenting and, and that that's something that you, you love to do today. You've grown into that experience. Um, So that would be something that I would describe as one of your strengths, because it's, it's something that really strengthens you. It gives you power to um, it fills you up with your power and your energy to stand in front of a a group of people and, and present to them. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. And
0: if if you were in, so if you were in that exact same room, those those same 300 other people that, that you get up on stage and present to, but you're not presenting to them and it, it's just a networking event or it could be the same event where you are going to present to them, but uh, perhaps before you present to them, you've got to go and talk to them individually and network and meet new people. Is that the same experience for you? Is it the same feeling? Like, do you have the same no. confidence? Okay. Describe that no. a bit for it, me. What would the uh, difference be?
1: It's make? funny. Uh, uh, like I don't have a problem getting up in front of a group of people and talking to them, but I would, if you ask me, I would describe myself as being shy. Um, okay. and, uh, it's easier for me to speak to that whole group than being in a room with a bunch of people that I don't know and have to kind of go strike up, uh, conversations with, with them. That is not one of my strengths. Um, and I'm aware of that. Uh, what I do is, you know, B2B sales. So business to business sales, meaning I have the same customers that I have dealt with for years and years and years. And and I've developed relationships with them, um, but to put me uh, in, say, a retail situation, which I was in shortly, and why I left, is having to develop that quick connection and that um, that quick relationship, and and to make a sale on them, and and that's kind of it. Move on to the next. That's not that's not what I enjoy, and it's not what I'm good at. Um, so when I'm in the situations where I'm in a room full of people, it's a little more difficult to, it's a little more difficult for me. Um, but like, but like a, a lot of things in my life, I like to use humor. I like to use humor to try to break the ice. I like to use humor when I'm speaking to a room full of 300 people. I like to use humor when I'm sitting and visiting or, 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 um, going over, projects with my customers. It's, I would say my biggest attribute or strength that I have is my humor.
0: And, and that's what you would use. Uh, like you find that that starts a lot of conversations with strangers, if you will, in a networking situation, you figure out a way to infuse humor into the conversation and you're off and running.
1: Yeah. And in many, many different ways. What I, you know, I still chuckle at uh, one, one, And sometimes even after the fact, you're like, did you really say that? Um, but, you know, for the majority of the time, the humor works. I was standing, I was networking in a room and you know, I knew a few people there and there's a bunch of people standing in a circle and and I didn't know the majority of them. I think I was there because one or two people in this group that were chatting, uh, I knew one of them or two of them and but maybe there was eight of us standing around and I'm standing next to this person. And, and some people say that I'm very difficult to read, which is I find funny. Um, um, but on on first impression, some people say I'm difficult to read and a conversation was going on and I was saying absolutely nothing. I was uh, taking it all in and probably just waiting for my chance. And this woman turns to me and she goes, uh, she goes, you haven't you haven't said anything and you haven't even laughed at anything that anybody has said right now. And what came out of my mouth and my reply to her was, that's because I'm dead inside. And <laughs> she she <laughs> laughed her head off. I cracked a smile to prove to her that, you know, I wasn't yeah. dead inside. And that started a, a long conversation for the night. Um, and from that learned about her business and what she did. And it was something that, um, pertaining to what I did. So, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, you know, it probably not always, I, I, I might even say I can't even control how, how it comes out, but, um, I just find the right situation and try to say the right thing to break that ice. And then once that happens, then, then you get chatty Greg because i
0: i experienced uh you know over 30 years of of selling and a lot of it b2b as well um i came to the conclusion that that sales success and and generating those sustainable results over time cuz that's really what the job is like it, you always have to deliver more results year over year moving forward um and so to get me there, I started to figure out that really it was an equation for me. And it came down to, you know, my my mental stability plus my unique talents or my unique strengths, what, what it is that's different about me that can bring me success, like you're talking about your humor. Um, and then coming up with a sustainable set of inputs that I could control, measure, and improve. and that kind of mathematical um approach to sales doesn't seem to exist as much as the artistic approach to sales. So mm-hmm. you know this this intersection for me about uh, why I'm interested in in mental health and and sales results is I think that it's it's really undiscovered, it's really overlooked um the the mental stability components of it, and then focusing on our unique greatness or our unique genius, um, because we all have different different attributes. And we all have different components of our personality that if those are allowed to come out of us on more of a regular basis, being our strengths, we actually fill ourselves up with energy. And when we mm-hmm. find ourselves having to spend time in the areas, that we're weaker at or weaknesses, I feel that it would really drain me of my energy. And I don't know that that isn't part of the answer to to burnout that's experienced in in the sales role. So to kind of go down that path a bit with you, um, you know, I I assume that that you do some things uh, to take care of or improve your physical health. Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. I cycle quite a bit.
0: You're a cyclist. Okay. So what, what will it take? Because in my opinion, we haven't, we haven't arrived there yet uh, as a society, let alone as, as these industries that we sell into where mental health is, is viewed as just as important to invest in as their physical health like you're you're cycling to keep yourself in shape and to to put yourself in a position to to perform and and mm-hmm. be healthy and what is it that's preventing us from implementing the same kind of a po- importance of our mental health because my mm-hmm. experience has been there's a direct effect on my my ability to generate results related to my mental health you know and mm-hmm. I I find that there is many experiences in sales. I I used to I used to describe it as a feeling of loneliness or it was a lonely profession especially in the B2B approach, you know, you're spending a lot of time by yourself in between calls or um you're not necessarily working you know side by side with the teammates at your company, you know, you're out in a territory by yourself. And I've come to learn that it's not the best description. I think it's more isolation, you Mm -hmm. know, and I, I wonder if you can talk to that at all. Like there's a number of experiences you have in sales where it's quite isolating where you're, you're on the phone, you're dealing with a situation and that that situation ends and you need to step out of your car and walk into an account. And those two things can't really be connected. But they are for us because we're dealing with both of them. Can Can you speak to that at all? Like, is there a feeling of isolation that you that you experience uh, through the job?
1: Well, I mean, to, to comment on something that you just said, which is very common, is... I guess I'll sum it up as saying having to be on, having to be on yes. for your customer. So you know, many times you're sitting in your car and you're dealing with another situation. You may be on the phone. It might be maybe you're talking to your office because a product is late and someone's yelling at you and da 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 da. So you're getting worked up, and or you're having to deal with a difficult situation with a customer uh, at that exact moment. And now you're done with this situation and your next call is right outside your car door. Mm -hmm. And so you have to just, you know, you have to just, I guess, ground yourself and and kind of get out of that um, state of maybe anxiousness or whatever that you were just in and, and put on a smiling face and go into that call and make them think that everything's great in the world. And and so there's a lot of that that happens. Um, And then depending on how how that call went, you come out either feeling good or or maybe it was something else that came up that you had to deal with and you're back in the car and you're kind of sitting in there, sitting with it by yourself. I know for myself, uh, what I even continue to do today um, is, uh, uh, I kind of reach out to people like as a sales rep and, 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 you know, many sales rep who are in their car car all day may totally relate to this is, is you uh, develop a lot of phone relationships. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's your coworkers, your co-reps, or even competitors or customers that you've become very close to is, I would typically just hop on the phone from from call to call just to connect with someone. I'm not a big fan of being alone, so so to have that connection uh, for me, uh, helped me a lot. I guess. I guess I mean, probably, like you were saying, my 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 mental state um, would kind of re-energize reenergize me. Um, I'm most likely first calling the person that's gonna make me laugh the best.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> um back to humor. So we can again. just back to humor. So we can have a good time, get some chuckles and and kind of be able to just go on to the next call. So yeah. I mean, um like when you first started saying loneliness and isolation, uh like I didn't know I felt those feelings. But I must have, I must be, because I'm constantly reaching out to people. And there's no way the that
0: it's not affecting our mental health. Like how oh. how how we can just flip a switch like that? Um, but there there has yeah. to be there has to be a price that we're paying emotionally or yeah. mentally or psychologically.
1: Yeah, and I uh, you know, I I've I've learned in the last let's say seven years, the value of working on your mental health. And I do incorporate that into, into my life. I do have someone that I go talk to on a regular basis, okay. um, less regular when, when things are going well, more regular when, when there's struggles, like we all have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, I definitely recognize the importance of not only your fitness, your cycling, your golf, your your softball, whatever you're going to play, but, you know, taking care of your emotional self again and take uh, as well and taking care of your mental health. Um, well, uh, and I,
0: I think it's interesting, um, <clears throat> you know, like positive psychology has taught me that the the majority of success that we experience in our life is is related to to three areas it's our our optimism levels the strength of our social support network and our ability to see stress as a challenge instead of an obstacle and mm-hmm. it's almost without knowing but in some ways you've you've developed a social support system through your work that in some cases is competitors of yours, but it's a group of people who can relate to the way that you feel in a given situation. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, the, the other component, uh, that you've discussed so far I think would be trying to affect your optimism levels or your positivity, like you're, you're constantly um, falling back into humor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that it, it is a strength that allows us to affect kind of the state of mind that we're in, whether that's positive, negative, neutral, or stressed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, humor, uh, it changes the chemical makeup in, in our brain in the moment. And, and it allows for more dopamine to flood into our mind. Uh, when we move away from that stressed feeling of flight or fight that, the uh, you know, the call with the the delayed product or the difficult customer, and then you're flipping the switch, uh, to, to change your, your experience and your feeling, and you're using humor to do that a lot. That's very interesting
1: mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh you know flipping the switch uh i can tell you that um a few years ago i was going through some difficult times which is when i i started to work on my mental health and i started to uh, see the value of going to talk to a, a counselor uh i remember at the time um and this is probably the the most extreme that i've been on having to put on that face is uh you know, I used to rent space in my office to another company and there was maybe three or four employees there. And I would get to the door in the morning and I'd stand on the side of the door. I'm not exaggerating. And I'd take a deep breath and I'd just be think to myself, like, you can do this. And I'd open the door and I'd put on a smile and I would yell out to everybody in the office, hello, happy family. Hmm. And I would get very positive result, uh, you know, responses and, and laughter. And, and I did that pretty much every day, um, with them not knowing why I was actually doing that. And for them, maybe thinking it was just a, big, you know, it was a joke coming from Greg, cause that's what they were used to. Um, but I, you know, to have that interaction, I, I felt was very helpful for me. Um, and, uh, I eventually let them know after the fact that I had, when I was kind of on better ground that, uh, that, you know, they were a big part of helping me pick myself back up by forcing myself to put on that, put on that smiley face. But, um, you know, that's an extreme example of what, it's just what we do in in sales. You get to that door and, and you've got to be ready and you got to be on and, uh, you can't, you can't let your current state of mental health affect what's going to happen once you see that customer. And the value that I found in um, attending to that and recognizing that and getting help for that is immense.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Um do you think that you recognize that in the moment as a tool that you were using to affect the, the performance of your mental health? Or do you think that it was just like, looking back on it, you can see that, that it was something that affected your positivity or your optimism levels, just your ability to move forward. But could you connect that it was actually a tool that you were implementing?
1: Looking back, I think it connects to what you said earlier about fight or flight. I think it just, I just did it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I don't know if I'm like, Hey, this is a tool that I'm using. I just did it because I knew that I couldn't walk into that office and, and kind of just be in a mood that would bring everybody down. Um, and probably because I didn't want to ask anyone to ask me what was wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. But think- th-
0: this is exactly what I'm trying to get at, uh, you know, with what I'm doing today in this podcast is, um, I think that as salespeople, we, we have a lot of similar experiences in terms of the challenges that we have to go through. Um, I think everybody has, has been in the car and, and had to get out and you're not in the right state of mind and you need to flip the switch. Uh, I think everybody has been on the other side of that door that you're describing and, again you need to flip the switch um so what i'm interested in in finding and sharing is these little tools that i think mm-hmm. that that we've kind of uh almost by chance developed you know mm-hmm. that have allowed us to move forward and and uh and still do the job even in the difficult times um you know one thing that that i remember uh was a big effect on me um was you know, the having to make the difficult phone call, or or knowing that the meeting I'm about to go into is going to be challenging. You know, maybe maybe I'm going to get thrown out of the account. Maybe I'm going to close the account. There there's going to be some point of contention, and in the past, I I found that uh, that would build up in my mind. Um, you know, I'd really remunerate over these negative thoughts that I thought were going to happen, and um, I struggled to perform in those in those moments because I wasn't at my best then. And, you know, once I started learning about uh, how I could affect my optimism levels and my positivity, I started to create these little tools like you're describing on the other side of the door and the deep breath and hello, happy family. That's beautiful. Um, you know, I, I'd park my car and go for a five minute walk and I'd think about three things. I, I'd think about the birth of my children and, you know, feeling them in my hand for the first time, uh, you know, the experience I had with my wife, the, just the smell, the sensations trying to relive that, that moment again, which was, it, it had such a big impact on my life in a positive way, Uh, trying to think about the funniest experience that I could remember being involved in. And, you know, who was it with, what were we saying? Why were we laughing so hard? And then finally, I would think about the best holidays, the best vacations that I'd ever been on, and really elaborate detail. And I found that this, it shifted the state that I was in. It moved me away from stress. It moved me away from negative or even just being in neutral, and it allowed me to become more positive. And whether it's directly related or not, I believe that it is in my experience, but the results of that difficult meeting were always positive. It It wasn't this thing that I was making it out to be in my head that in most cases were just causing me to procrastinate and not deal with the issue not make the hard phone call you know so it's these little tools that are are really interesting to me because again i i don't see the big connection being made between our mental health and our performance as salespeople but when we talk about these scenarios that everybody deals with you can see it plain as day the connection
1: interesting what um you were just describing how those are tools that uh, I'm assuming you were taught to use to get yourself in a positive state of mind and this and the fact that I was unknowingly kind of doing the same thing in a smaller scale just by saying the phrase happy family like I'd sit outside the door I'd think about you know I think about being happy I think about family hey, happy family and that's kind of how it just kind of got created but uh yeah, it's interesting that uh i was using a technique that i didn't know that was being <laughs> that was being taught in a smaller scale
0: but i think that that's what's so intriguing about this conversation is there's so many salespeople dealing with the exact same situations and you know like we're stumbling across actual tools that helped you well they can help anybody in that same situation then if they're willing right. to implement them you know, and so there's there's answers to these questions that will help us out there in the world. And, you know, that's why I want to talk to salespeople like yourself uh, about this subject, because I think that it offers a, a pathway. Um, and I know for myself, it directly affected my results, the numbers, the sales themselves, you know. Right. And so it wasn't really something that I was taught per se. It was more a theory theory it was beginning to dive into positive psychology and and understanding the function and performance of my brain and you know that aspect of my mental health let's say and so what i began to do was because there's these four states of experience that we have in our brain and if you you start to study people that achieve success you can see that they spend a lot more time in the positive than they do negative neutral or stress. And uh, on a scientific level, like brain scans, you know, we, we can see now that human beings can't learn when they're in flight or fight that they can't learn in the state of stress. Um, I, I mentioned dopamine earlier affecting, you know, our optimism levels, uh, it also turns on all the learning centers in our brain, you know? So it just became really interesting to me that I could start to see based on what I was learning about positive psychology, that it was possible for me to affect the function and the state that my mind was in. And then I started to think about these little tools that would personally help me, you know? So Mm -hmm. the one that you mentioned on the other side of the door is, is another one that I think I could dive into further. It's really intriguing. So getting getting further kind of down that path then, um, you know, because one thing I found in my own experience is how hard it is for us to pat ourselves on the back or to to point out, the great aspects of ourselves. And I know from, you know, growing up and, and different teachers, different managers that I've had throughout my life, a lot of the focus has always been on trying to get better at what I'm not that good at. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, it was the weakness component uh, of myself trying to improve that weakness to make a difference in terms of the results. And, again what i found uh with the learning i did on positive psychology was you know if 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 we try and improve weakness we can go from terrible to really bad you know and it's an improvement but it's an incredible amount of effort and it's a tiny step forward and all of our ability to take these leaps and bounds forward with our success uh relate to our strengths, you know, and that the areas that you're already strongest at are where all of your opportunity for more growth exists.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's kind of like because we've been taught to not toot our own horn, like all these phrases I can remember now growing up with, you know, oh, don't pat yourself on the back. Don't it, it's sort of baked in to not allow you to focus on your strengths that the focus is on what you're weaker at, you know, and Mm -hmm. I love to ask this question to, to other salespeople, um, because I think it proves this point that I'm making. Like if I ask you what's unique about you, that brings you success in your life, what's the answer that you're going to give to that question?
1: What's unique about me? You know, I, m- my first response is to just tell you what my strengths are, that I'm funny, that I'm witty, that I'm, uh I feel that I'm somewhat intelligent. Well, <laughs> hmm.
0: um, oh, you got 99 in marketing,
1: right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are are yeah, you I mean,
0: uncomfortable
1: like, right now? Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, see, th- this is the point that I'm making. Like, all yeah. of your opportunity to improve relates yeah. to these things that you struggle to name. Yeah. Why is that? You know yeah. why? Why is it that uh, you know the the greatest football player in the world, the the greatest actor, the they have no problem identifying and talking about what makes them great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the real difference to me is the state of mind that they're in. They're constantly focused on the strengths. They don't ignore the weaknesses, but they figure out a way to use the strengths to work around the weaknesses. And that's where all of their success comes from. And when you study success, it always looks unique. You know, average looks the same. And so many of us are doing the same things. And those things aren't focused on Greg's unique genius. You know, there's something about you that nobody else on this planet has. And if your focus is in that area more than it's not, you'll have more success. It's quite straightforward to me. And yet it's a challenge to even talk about it.
1: Right that's it yeah that's uh that's interesting um it is a challenge it's and maybe it, it goes back to you know what you said being told don't don't pat yourself on your back right yeah like how many times did we hear that yeah and we're kind of it's ingrained into us from from the beginning it's don't celebrate yourself be humble
0: yeah right yeah and i mean you need humility you know, you need, you need to be humble in your life. Um, but it, another example of it to me is like in athletics and the amount of, of self-belief and confidence that you need to have to become the best in the world in a particular discipline. Like it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The people that don't make it, to the top of the pyramid pyramid are viewed as as cocky, as self-centered, as, you know, the people that make it to the top of the period pyramid have those exact same approaches, those exact same, you know, the willingness to talk about what's great about themselves, uh, and to understand that. But because they achieve the success, it's it's kind of overlooked. You know, it, it's an interesting comparison that you can see uh, throughout every industry, every walk of life, really. I find it intriguing.
1: It's funny, uh, over my career, uh, um, I'm going to try to put my um, uh, my humbleness aside. Over my career, if you asked customers um, that I was calling on, Uh, I was constantly referred to and told this by, by a number that, uh, for sure, Greg, you're one of the top, top three reps in the industry, Mm -hmm. top three reps. I heard that over and over. And I used to ask myself, like, why, like, why do they think that? Um, like, I'm not, I'm not that organized. Mm -hmm. I don't always call people back immediately like, I sometimes forget, like, I don't, I don't understand, I don't understand why that is. And listening to you speak now, um, is probably cause I under, I undervalued the, the, like the strengths of my strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't what I was bad at that like it it wasn't the, the the things that I wasn't really strong at, it was the things that I was good at that made me who I was and, and, and got me the reputation that I was. And listening to you talk now, it's like I was probably focusing on the, the wrong thing. I was probably focused like, why am I focusing on like, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at this, I don't understand why I have this reputation. Whereas the mentality should be, "I'm good at this and I'm good at this and I'm good at this." And this is why I do well in in my job,
0: and if that is the mentality, I believe that it builds upon itself in the same the same way that the negative things build us down. they 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 spiral us downward. You know, so the the gap that can be created in terms of the success that we have is, Is almost unmeasurable because you you can go so far to either extreme, you know, and it's just a subtle shift in perspective. I really believe that.
1: And I think even not knowing it kind of now is like, okay, here's what I'm good at as a business owner. Now, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not good at. So I'm going to hire somebody to do the things that I'm not good at that are good at those things. My organization is the big one. I'm gonna hire somebody that keeps me organized, that does all of the paperwork, that does all of the quoting, that does all the things that I don't like to do. Um because I'm not organized enough to do them well and be productive in my day. You know, I was in a position and I was in a job before I moved into where I am now where I only called on a certain set of people. I called on, you know, these dealers and that was my main focus. And Mm -hmm. when I moved over to my own company, I needed to be able to reach out to a whole group of other people. Yeah. So in order to help bridge that I hired somebody that already had those relationships and that was able to help me get into that same scenario. But I don't, I don't know this group of people. Um, and, and I don't know this industry and I'm going to hire somebody that knows that that can open those doors for me.
0: But it's, it's the exact same thought process with ourselves personally. And that, hmm. that's where it falls down a lot. Like it's, it's much easier in my opinion for you to recognize the, uh, the challenge of organization and go and hire somebody that can, can help you. So you're you're not ignoring your weakness. You're Mm -hmm. you're not solely focused on your strengths. You know what the weakness is, and then you're figuring out a way to work around it. And Mm -hmm. you know, why, why is that easier for us to accomplish um, looking outside of ourselves as opposed to looking at ourselves personally, you know, like that's the million dollar question to me. Right. So yeah, intriguing, Um, you know, but I, I find uh, another component of, of selling that I always, I always sort of experienced this uh, sense of isolation with was uh, in B2B selling, your role essentially is a go-betweener or a negotiator, Uh, between the guy who directly pays you and signs your paychecks and the guy who indirectly pays you. And they don't have the same objectives. There's not always alignment between those two groups of people. And you're in the middle of that. And the experience is almost on an island by yourself, constantly negotiating between these two parties to make sure that you keep getting paid. You know, it's, uh, it's another experience of isolation that I found.
1: Yeah, I was taught early, actually, I was taught in an interview for one of, uh, for one of my sales job uh, by my, who became by my boss. And I was told by my, my future boss in that interview, your job with this company is to fight for your customer. And wow. even if that means you're fighting with me, you're fighting for your customer. And so I've, I've always kind of held that with me. And, um, and I've always tried to just like fight for the customer. It's not a black and white issue though. Yeah. Like there comes to a point where, you know, you can't fight for, let's just call it the ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's lots of times when, the The customer is right. I hate that term. Customers are always right, But there's lots of times when the customer is right. And yeah, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get what they're asking for because it's right. There's lots of times when, ah, uh, maybe, maybe the customer has got a good point. Maybe uh, my company has a good point. But in those cases, I'm going to fight for that customer because there's a reason why they're asking for it um and then there's going to be cases when you know right off the bat that that customer is asking for something that's completely unreasonable and that's when you need to fall back on your relationships um and that's why it's important to have good positive relationships with your customers in order to help deal with those difficult situations in order to be able to say to them frankly hey like what you're asking for is insane like it's not like you're asking for something that's not possible and we just can't do that and Mm -hmm. if you have uh the relationship with that customer that's a lot easier conversation than if you haven't developed that relationship and you can be more frank and you can be more forward and what have you but you know for the most part unless it unless it is teetering on the absurd, I'm going to fight for the customer.
0: It's interesting though. You could you could easily identify another potential strength of yours in that scenario as honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're you're able to look at the situation objectively, slightly skewed towards your client over your company in most in most circumstances, I would say, but you you have an honest perspective that allows you to to tell the customer you're being nuts right now. Like this, yeah. this isn't going to, there's no solution when that's the approach. Right. What about when, uh, what about when you're out on the road? So you're, you're traveling, you're out of town. Um, you come across the, the feeling of isolation and in sales in, in that scenario more or less okay. or,
1: the worst phrase I ever have to say in my life is "table for one."
0: Uh, yeah, uh, I know. Ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> Absolute. I, I like. I'm. I. I am on the road quite a bit. but I would rather go grab a sub or some sam something and go back to my room and watch TV by myself. That is less lonely to me than going into a restaurant and asking for a table for one. That is way less lonely. Yeah. Being by myself. Yeah. I feel sitting at that in that restaurant by yourself wondering what is ever, why is everybody, what are they thinking about why I'm by myself? Like, can, can I just put up a sign saying I'm from I'm out of town? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and do they know uh, it's, it's like do they do it's they know when you walk in, like, oh it's sales guy? Like, you yeah. know, the, the matries, the waitress. Guy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> is this sales guy or is this guy just lonely, right? Yeah. Or both. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, or both. And and I'm I'm gonna guess that there's a handful of people. I don't know about sales sales guys, but my wife, for example, oh, loves it loves she would love to go to a restaurant by herself and have a meal uh and i just i can't i can't stand it i I will do it reluctantly but
0: i find the experience of of traveling for work to be intriguing um you know one one role i was in was uh i had a territory that was thousands of kilometers away from the head office and one component of the job would be to to take customers back to the facility and and show them how we how we manufacture and so you know you're you're away for a weekend uh and you're in you know five-star hotel and five-star restaurants and you know but it, it's not you and your buddies. It's, it's still that experience of having to be on, you know, you're on the entire time, except when you're alone in your hotel room. And I remember I'd come back from those trips and I'm just, just exhausted. Like, I don't want to do anything. And, uh, my wife would always kind of mock me, you know, like, uh, Oh Yeah great restaurants and hotel and room service Like, oh, it's so hard and finally i got to a point i'm like look like the next time i go you're coming with me and you are doing exactly everything that i do for the entire time that i do it and then we're gonna see when we're driving to the airport in the taxi if you're exhausted or not like it's not a holiday it's there's perks to it for sure but uh it's work, it's work. And, and it's tiring, you know, being on the road. uh, I mean, I, I, I did that trip 58 times in, in 10, 10, and a half years, you know, like you, you shouldn't be able to know how many steps it is between gates and airports. Like that's information that you shouldn't come up with, but you do the same thing over and over again. And That's what intrigues me about looking at our strengths because we're required. Like that's what we have to give to the job is we got to do it again and again and again. And I came to believe that if I'm focused on my strengths and I'm constantly powering myself back up, I'm, I'm inputting this energy back into myself because I'm doing the things that I love to do. Um, and it can even be things that I'm not particularly uh, in love with. Like a strength can be, it, it, it just has to power you up. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you enjoy the entire time that you're doing it, but you may be really good at something that you you don't love to do you know? And um, so I just found if I, if I focus more on my strengths, because if I'm focused on the things that weaken me, I can't do it over and over and over and over again. Like eventually I burn out. Eventually I quit. Eventually I go and, and look for somewhere else to start fresh. And, you know, I believe our families need that from us our entire life. Like we have to do these same tasks again and again, and the only way to have success with it is if we focus on what strengthens us,
1: yeah, right, yeah, to expand you know you're talking about just the just the the toll that the out of town trips and the tours like you were saying uh it's a lot like I can you know a, a couple examples is. Typically when you go out of town, um, and this is more about, you know, uh, preparing yourself on the other side of the door, but when, when you're out of town, you have a pretty strict schedule and you've got to see as many people as you can. Cause you may be only there once yeah. a quarter or twice a year. Right. Yeah. So your day is full. Like you'll get, even if I have like four or five hour, hour and a half appointments in, in a day. And it's just talking to people and presenting to people. Um, I get back to the hotel and I'm just absolutely exhausted from just having to be on the entire time. You know, when you're in your own territory, um, you have a lot more flexibility of maybe I'm going to make two calls today or maybe this is going to be an office day and and you can kind of recharge and what have you. But you're on the road and it's just constant go, 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 go. You know, in my industry, in many sales industries, we all go to like conventions or trade shows or what have you. And, and I actually just came back from one and um, you're out the door in the morning at 8 a.m. And if you're back in your hotel by 1030, that's a victory for yourself. But you're you're rarely back in your hotel yeah. by 10. At no,
0: that's when the entertaining of the client starts.
1: Yeah, yeah so i mean again like everybody's like ah you go everywhere and you get to you go here and you go there and you get to see all these great places some so not great places but um it's it's not a vacation for the most part
0: no you're not with your buddies yeah yeah how um how, how do you perceive or how do you uh, deal with the challenges stress that the job brings to you? Do you feel stress <clears throat> in the job?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure you feel stress. Um, yeah, I mean there's a a few things one of them is is just what we talked about earlier is is um, physical activity. Hmm. Is kind of taking, trying to take care of yourself in the moments that you can. Um, I found a, a tool that I've learned in the last few years, and and I mean, I feel stress and anxiety are two different things, but taking a moment, and this is like I said, a, a trick that I've I've been lucky to learn, is taking a moment to recognize. Um, these feelings of stress, or these feelings of anxiety. And this has helped me immensely. So you're in a situation, you know, you're getting stressed, maybe your chest is getting a little tight, or you got butterflies in your stomach, or what have you. Um, I now always stop and kind of recognize that and ask Mm -hmm. myself, where is that coming from? and and acknowledging that it's there and that is a s- extremely helpful tool for me Interesting. Um, because because sometimes you might start to feel this and not know why mm-hmm. okay, why am i feeling anxious right now why am i feeling stressed you know there's sometimes when you 100 percent know why you're feeling stressed is you got to pick up the phone and tell somebody that uh, their fifty thousand dollar order is going to be four weeks later than they thought Yeah. But there's other times that you just get these feelings that I've learned that I just need to stop and take a moment and go, okay, what, what is causing this? And, and what is the source of this? And identifying that and identifying, okay, what is my, what am I thinking right now that's making me feel this way? And for me, I mean, I used to kind of live with that, that sense of angst for, it could be a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to kind of get that to like maybe five minutes now hmm. is just taking the time to recognize it, listening to your body. That's how it was described to me as listen to your body. Like it's saying something to you and you need to acknowledge it. So for me, that's a, that's extremely helpful. To what a great
0: with. tool so, that is. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, that's a big help for a lot of people. Um mm-hmm it's hard to stop in the moment. You know, it, it's hard when, when all of the feelings are welling up uh, and just kind of be at peace and, and figure out, like try and find the answer. Where is it coming from? That, that would be a very mm-hmm. hopeful tool for me. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was taking a, I took a, a webinar a couple weeks ago that was based on anxiety um, in the workplace. And just, uh, as a side, a really interesting thought that I'd, I'd never considered in my life, uh, anxiety and worry are not the same thing. Right. I never, I never looked at it that way. Like I, I always, I, those two words were interchangeable descriptions for the same thing for me, you know? And, uh, but it, it's interesting. I mean, anxiety is something that uh, is, is much more long-lasting. It's, uh, and not just the feeling or the experience of it, but the perspective of it, you know? Like mm-hmm. you're, you have this concern about this thing and it can, you can perceive it to never end, you know? And that's that's kind of how you're stuck. And and worry is more of a fleeting, you know, come and go in the moment sort of emotion. Uh, right. Yeah, it was it was interesting to me. I never I never understood them to be different in the past. But uh, no, this is uh, this has been uh, very interesting. You know, like I said earlier, what I'm after is to to continue to build on the equation that's brought me success and to try and share that idea with others. And again, for me, it's a huge component of it is, is the mental stability, you know, and, um, learning through positive psychology that, you know, 75% of my success comes from my optimism levels, the strength of my social support network, and my ability to see stress as a challenge instead of an obstacle. You know, mental stability is all of those things, you know, and I think that we can affect all of those things like, you know, I've, I've created tools that have allowed me to improve my optimism levels. You've You've mentioned a new one to me today on the other side of the door, uh, that, that, that's intriguing. Um, you know, the, the ability to kind of perceive stress, um, what you're talking about with, with recognizing what your body's telling you in the moment, listening to what your body is. I think that that's a way to, to change the perception of stress that one has, you know, and then, so, identifying kind of that unique genius about us, what our strengths are and figuring out ways to leverage those strengths towards the tasks and activities of the role of a salesperson. Like that's kind of this equation that I've been building for the last decade now. And, um, you know, cause once you figure out the mental stability component of it, And once you begin to use your strengths, it creates more mental stability, but then you can systemize the time that you spend, you know, really all that we have to give is, is our time. And I find that a lot of salespeople waste a lot of time. You know, I did it for years and it's this feeling that you, you're busy you know, and you go into work every day and you do all this stuff. And why is it that most days you sell zero or very little? And then every now and then you get an order for a million bucks or whatever it is. So what Mm -hmm. of all that stuff, what of all those activities actually caused the sale to happen? You know, Mm -hmm. so that's what became interesting to me was that that mental stability provided me a lot of clarity. Um, the focus on my strengths provided me more mental stability and more enjoyment in the, in the job itself. And then it kind of freed me up to begin to look at selling differently and change it away from, I don't know if you experienced the, the job is how many it's always how many, how many compared to last month, how many compared to the budget, how many, it's always how many. And there's a built in stress to that because a lot of what affects the, how many is out of your control. Like you can't affect the exchange rate on the dollar or the price of oil or the, the, the profitability equation of, of your business, your, your competitor, like these things we can't control. And yet we're held to the standard of how many. And for me, it became way easier to begin to create a system of just how do I sell the first dollar? Like how, how do we sell what we're selling? Who do we mm-hmm. sell it to? Like, why do they buy from us? Why do we sell it to them? and begin to create a system of inputs of tasks and activities that actually drive the sales forward, because then Mm -hmm. I can measure, I can replace, I can, you know, I have control over the inputs of my time. And the biggest thing that it did for me, it, it increased my sales, but the biggest thing it did for me was it gave me more control over my mental stability because I didn't feel Mm -hmm. this pressure constantly to measure up to a number that I have little control over, you know? And so if you believe in the system that you create, you just have to do more of it or get better at the components of it. And the sales will come. And now you can actually measure something real.
1: It's it's uh it's um, convenient that you say that or interesting that you bring that up because in one of the lines that I rep- represent I'm having a a killer year. Okay. I'm up fifty up fifty percent, like things are going great, <clears throat> and I know why that, that's happening is we had four major pro- projects land this year. It's the middle of the year and I'm already thinking ah oh, crap what's going to happen next year. Right. Right. How am, I going to, how am I going to live up to that number? This is impossible. And these are the thoughts that I have in midst of having a career year with this company instead of celebrating the successes. It's like, I'm going to look so bad next year. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's so, it's so wrong. Like it's so wrong for you personally, emotionally, physically, Like it, it does nothing to help you, but that's the job. Like I've felt that for decades, you know? So I, I found that, that subtly shifting that, um, because you can like, you got to create sustainable results. And so in, 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 in that viewing of being 50% up, that's what you're struggling with is how, how am I going to sustain this next year? It's impossible. Right. You already know it is. That's the reality of it. Yeah. But if your focus is constantly on like, go back to why it is that those four projects happened and yeah. pull apart the individual steps that you took over however many years to first generate the opportunity, to generate the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody, to make a presentation, to um, price the order, to close the order, like all of the process of the sale that you went through and build a system that you spend your time with. And Mm -hmm. if you believe in that system, those four projects will come again. You just have to take those same steps again. Yeah, the opportunity has to be found, but... The opportunity is out there. We we get in the way of finding it a lot. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, interesting. Well, I've uh, I've learned quite a bit by talking to you today, and thank you for your time. Hey,
1: yeah, thank you, as well for having me. You know, um, <laughs> um, any opportunity to chat about specifically mental health and, and the fact that how that relates to what we do is a great tie-in. But just mental health in period is something that I've learned to be very comfortable talking about. Um, three years ago next week, I lost a buddy to suicide. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe one of the reasons that that happened was um, his inability to talk about his struggles and uh, was very secretive and, and and you know even 5 10 years ago maybe even 3 years ago like just the subject was taboo and and uh, i think we all need to learn that it's something you can talk about just like hey i broke my leg i was out cycling and i got in an accident and i busted my leg there's no shame in telling people that Or, you know, I, whatever, I, uh, maybe I've got cancer, whatever, whatever the illness is, there's very little shame in, in most of those, but for whatever reason with, with uh, mental health, it, it has that stigma of shame. So I'm always happy to chat about it for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I'm glad that you say that even though that's, that's a difficult circumstance uh, that you went through with your buddy. And, um, you know, I got interested in this conversation, because, you know, I was diagnosed with severe depression, uh, after my father died unexpectedly, about 12, 13 years ago now. And, uh, you know, when I started to come out of uh, the depression with a lot of hard work but uh i started to come up with these questions you know like why is it that you end up on the edge of the cliff you know and your your whole life is over you you're losing your marriage your your kids your job you, everything is is about to go over that cliff before you ask for help you know why is this component of the experience of being human accepted so differently than the experience of being a human with cancer like you say you know it's a sickness and it affects 25 percent of north american adults today have a diagnosable mental health condition and it's remarkable to me, like a quarter of all of us, um, you know, and if if it's not you, it's one in three people that, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's an unbearable statistic that affects all of us. And if it isn't you, it's, it's your coworkers. It's your friends and family. It's your spouse. It's your children you know, these, these are the people of our lives. And uh, when you have a statistic that is that large, it's something that needs to be talked about. And, you know, what is it that prevented your friend for asking for help? What is it that prevented me for asking for help for so many years? And with me, it wasn't even so much that Um, from the time my dad died until I was diagnosed was three months. And I knew there was something wrong with me that I couldn't fix on my own, but I had no idea what it was. And after years of, of, uh, beginning to understand this, this part of myself, I came to realize that, you know, the things that you, you bring up like shame, um, you know, guilt and fear are the other two massive ones in my experience. And, uh, there are stigmas and now we talk about stigmas around mental health but for generations they they weren't discussed and the stigmas became so severe in the subconscious of our society that they've now become self-stigma which is way more dangerous because you view yourself Like you can't even look in the mirror because of the shame that you feel over what's wrong with you. Uh, The fear of losing everything. If if you speak up, you know, the guilt that you're not doing enough. uh, You're not making the right decisions to put yourself in a position to experience healthiness. And you can't even recognize the need for help that you don't ask for. You know, like that's what self-stigma has created in our society. And my personal experience with asking for help is it's none of those things. It is the most courageous strength that I have ever experienced in my life was asking for help and figuring out that I had depression. You know, so these situations that your buddy and friends of mine have ended up in, Um, it's because of that self stigma and the reality is the asking for help is 180 degrees different than what you think it is in this moment where you're stuck, you know? So I found that one person, like I just reached out and I found one hand that grabbed onto me and they didn't pull me out of the spiraling black hole experience that I was in, but they stopped me from spiraling further. And it gave me hope in like a 24 seven experience of hopelessness. It's an incredible gift in that moment. And it allowed me to take the breath to begin to choose to do all of the hard work that was required to actually change, you know, fundamental change. And so, yeah, I'm glad that uh, that I know people like you that are willing to talk about it because I think that it's the first step. And I think if we can shine more and more light on the stigmas of mental health uh, and if we can find practical applications to improve the results that are required from us in sales related to this intersection with our mental health, then uh, I think more people will be willing to talk about it because there's a direct line to uh, to helping them uh, not just with their uh, their mental health, but with the job they do, with the results they have, with how big their paycheck is, with with all of the things that you need to produce as a salesperson. So, Thank you so much, Gregory Cook, and uh, stay tuned for episode two.